Our sleep myths podcasts are often your favourite. We've even got a little bit internet famous with busting them. So we're in for another round. This is not one, not two, but the Sleep Mums Sleep Myths. Try saying that after a few. Part three. I'm Kat QB, parenting journalist, sleep geek, and my bust is massive right now because I've just had a baby. And this is Sarah Carpenter, sleep specialist, baby and child expert, and one of my bosom buddies. Aww. And I've not even been able to get up close and personal with your bosoms this time. <laughs> They're always so cool at number three. Aww, yeah, I miss those days where you'd shove my nipple into a baby's mouth. <laughs> Together, we are the Sleep Moms. As I mentioned, today we're going to be busting some sleep myths. One of the hardest things about baby sleep, particularly now, is that there is so much information out there. It can feel like everyone reckons they are a baby sleep expert, from your pal, to your mother-in-law, to your neighbour, and the wee old lady at the bus stop. Everyone has something to say about sleep. And sometimes that's amazing and you do pick up some nuggets. However, when you're bombarded... <laughs> Don't talk about picking up nuggets when babies are concerned. <laughs> I do far too much of that. <laughs> Sorry, sleep nuggets. Which is great because you can pick up some really valuable information from people. However, when you feel like you're being bombarded from all angles, it can get so confusing. So it's quite good just to hone in on one type of advice. And, you know, obviously we're going to say that we're good for that because we cover everything and talk about it all. And then at least you're building on that advice rather than just taking bits and pieces and then getting in a panic and not knowing where to go with them. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously it's really great that you can slightly pick and mix information from different sources about what suits you and your family but it can also get your head in a spin and mean that you don't actually have a clear idea of what you're doing and that can be harder and also it means that you're constantly questioning yourself if you're like I'll take this from there which is also obviously why we want to be in the broadest sense of the word like non-judgmental but also pulling in these all these different things so that you have a balanced approach to baby sleep sorry that suddenly turned into a sales pitch wasn't it (laughs) but it was I guess about part of the problem with sleep myths or that sleep myths exist is because there's all this information on the internet and elsewhere and people don't know what is true and what's not Absolutely. It's really difficult to pick it all to pieces and find what works for you if you feel like you're hearing lots. So if you've been listening for a while, we know you know your shush pat from your bum sugar. However, there are still plenty of myths to bust. So let's do it. First up, a baby needs total quiet for sleep. Why is this a myth, Sarah? So if you think about it, they've been carried for, you know, roughly nine months in a womb where it's not been quiet. They've had the hustle and bustle of life, movement, lots of external noises. and they're Because like, they can hear when they're inside. Yeah, absolutely. They get used to some sudden noises and familiar noises. I think one of the biggest things is that people think they can't flush the toilet when a baby's asleep. However, that's a really familiar sound to a baby because they've heard it for so long. So doing things like that when they're sleeping is a good thing. Um, And actually having a consistent sound when they're asleep can be really good just to help them stay in that deeper sleep. And 
mask some of the more unusual sounds. So familiar sounds could be dogs barking, toilets flushing, um, other children playing. As I've just, and I was going to say, as I've just had number three, other kid like number three is a total boss sleeper, even when the kids are running around playing. But I think it's just all really familiar background noise to him. Definitely. So if you try and then make it super quiet for him, he probably wouldn't sleep as well because... We did say that right at the beginning, didn't we? We were like, actually, he probably needs sound overnight to sleep because yeah. he's so used to bustle. Absolutely. No, definitely. So, so yeah, definitely do not keep the place quiet. And in fact, we, as you sort of touched on, we actually recommend sound. So should we have a wee chat about that? Like, I know you love a shush sound, but most people who are not baby sleep experts and used to shushing for like 12 hours find that really difficult <laughs> so what are the alternatives yeah I mean you can use anything that you're comfortable with we would always say sort of steer clear from music and anything that is going to be really changeable and um, so you're looking for something that is consistent so your white noise your pink noise I do like a shush everybody knows that I like a shush but it is the reason behind me liking the shush is because it's a sound that we tend to make naturally when we are settling baby. So if you haven't used a sound machine from the beginning, the sound that they'll be used to is a shush sound because that's generally what you've made anyway. But it doesn't mean that you have to stick with that. And you can do things like have the white noise as a consistent sound, and then use the shush sound as a settling technique. That's a really good tip. So white noise basically is is really good because the sound frequencies cancel out all other sounds, um, which is why it's even good for adults usually to sleep too as well. And I I would say I think I found that this time because I've been playing white noise overnight too. I honestly think it's helped me a wee bit with, with settling. Um, pink noise is a bit different. It tends to be more natural sounds, but I think for me anyway, that can be a bit more distracting you know things like bird song or something like that and um, whilst lovely and definitely relaxing I don't think actually helped me sleep but for you know different folks different strokes so for yeah. some babies some parents those are the sounds that are going to work better for them there's also brown noise which is not the sound you hear from uh, your baby's nappy it is uh, again just slightly different sound frequencies that cancel out other sounds I think it's always quite funny that um you know, parents will ask a lot when they can stop using white noise or when they can start using a sound and they ask when they should stop using it. And actually, when they come around to weaning off it, they find that they are the ones that want to keep it and not the baby. The baby comes off it really easily. But by that stage, the parents are like, oh, quite like that sound and I'll just sleep better and keep it. You can use it as a sleep trigger once they get to a certain age and stage um, so that it's like, oh, that sound, that makes me go to sleep. But also you might find they come back to it so as I think you guys know I have a six-year-old and because we've got various white noise machines going on around the house and I guess maybe because she's listened to her baby brother listening to it she's asked for it for the last week or so a different white noise machine because we have too many to go to sleep and I honestly think she's sleeping better as a result of it perhaps it's like a kind of familiarity thing as well that she's like oh I used to listen to this when I was a baby but I'm like yeah bring back let's just flood the whole house <laughs> with white noise yeah I wish I'd used um, noise for my six-year-old when she was a baby <laughs> never too late Sarah never too late I'm giving you your own yeah. advice back to you <laughs> she hears white noise now and she's like do not put that on I know what you do with that <laughs> 
Next up, and this one can be a bit confusing because I do think there are some babies that are better sleepers. It just so happens that my number three is the absolute dream. However, this one is still a myth. So my child is just a bad sleeper. Sarah, let's bust this one. Yes, I agree with what you're saying. Some babies are better sleepers, but there's no such thing as a bad sleeper. Every single baby is going to sleep and every single baby needs sleep as part of their development and needs. So they may not sleep as well as the next one. They may not sleep as well as your first one. However, they're not bad sleepers and following our advice and listen to the podcast you should end up with the best sleeper that you can have so sure they might not be sleeping for 18 hours a day when they're first born or they might not do a 12 hour night but they will fall into the time frames that we're suggesting as being you know good for development and that's what you're aiming for I think the bad sleeper thing comes from comparisons well, and I was going to say there's this also this this thing around absolutes, which I think is really common in parenting right now. It probably has always been, I guess, because it is often like little old ladies who say this to you. But the whole idea of being good or bad when you're a baby, either a good or a bad sleeper, a good or a bad parent, that, you know, none of us fall into those categories because it's just it's just too... There's no shade and parenting is all about shade. And you might have a great sleeper, who, you know, like that's why I'm touching wood when I say that for the first few months sleeps like an absolute charm and then it all goes tits up, you know, or you might go the other way. You might have a really rough time and then it goes well. Like, you know, as I know you know that I like to say, sleep isn't linear. So even if we, it, you know, even if we get into a period of more settledness, there can still be unsettledness. So it's sort of, it's it's a myth to say that they are, that that any child is good or bad at sleeping because it doesn't fall in a straight line. But also, I think it sort of suggests that you've got nothing to do with it either, which, yeah, of course, you know, if you want to not, like, if you just want to let your kids sleep however they want to sleep, fine, (laughs) it's totally up to you. But we're here to remind you that there are always things that you can do that should help to make sleep better. Not best, but better. Absolutely. Um, And also, as you said, you know, like we're talking about my third, even within a family, you can often have really different babies who, you know, well, we wouldn't be here if number one hadn't been such a nightmare. (laughs) I'm not saying she was a bad sleeper. (laughs) She she actually loved her sleep when she learned how to I just didn't know what to do. That's the difference. Often parents wear their eye bags with a degree of pride. It's like a physical sign of the club that you've signed up to. We almost brag about how little sleep we're getting. I think I do this because I reckon it might make people go easy on me when I can't string a sentence together, like right now. And so I think there's a degree of that. It's like, I can't, I'm not sleeping at the moment. Please be kind to me. <laughs> Let's bust this next myth because I think it's an important one too. I'm a parent. Therefore, I'm not meant to sleep. Yeah, I think that is so common that people feel like that. And I think, again, it comes back to the comparisons. I think there's a lot of, you know, parents talk and the ones who are actually getting a lot of sleep 
don't feel like they can say that they're getting a lot of sleep because they're worried about being judged. Um, and the ones who aren't getting a lot of sleep, they do wear it with pride initially, but then they get to a point where even they then feel like they're being judged for not getting sleep. And so they stop saying it too. So it becomes this big cycle of all parents sort of stretching their own truth to meet. There's just too much judgment. Yes, <laughs> it it's so judgy. Um I think you're right as well it's sort of like you feel like if your baby is sleeping you sort of feel like if you say that that you know people are gonna like roll their eyes or think that you've got it through ill-gotten gains or something that you've done something terrible to make your child sleep which is horrible so you just don't say that and if they're not you feel like you've failed because you should have been doing one of these things there's sort of this no happy medium or 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 for a lot of people, it feels like there is. And that's obviously, again, what we want to reinforce. You know, everyone will go through periods of time, phases where things are more settled. And when they're not, we hope to give you the tools to enable more of the settledness. But yeah, never be too smug about it, even when it is happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. But do but, talk about it, I suppose. But do talk about yeah, exactly. it. Talk about it. Be open about it. If everyone was more open about it, it would feel like a much more supportive community um, but never feel like you're not meant to be getting sleep because everybody needs sleep so even if you're not getting the sleep at the right times of the day do try and get out other times so that you can function. I think that, that that sort of idea of not meant to I think we feel really really guilty about the fact that there are certain things that we can do that will help our babies to sleep but there's a there's this sort of noise in the background that's like but you asked to have a child or you hope to have a child or you know so how you shouldn't complain about being up overnight I've definitely seen that in parenting forums um uh, and also so that's sort of the outside judgy looking in and then there's the inside bit where you're like but I love them so much and I just want to make sure they're okay and who who am I I don't matter (laughs) I don't know why I'm I'm, I'm rocking out a lot of accents today that must be the sleep deprivation (laughs) Sorry. Um, No, that's so true. And there's also an element of, and I think, you know, so many of us are guilty of this, is that when we put them to bed, we actually miss them so much that we then do stay awake just to watch them. So we stop ourselves getting sleep, even when we've got the opportunity to have it. (laughs) We're a bunch of weirdos. Yeah, definitely. You, me, all of us. We've done an episode on the relationship between solids and sleep. And whilst there is one for sure, and it's an important one, it's definitely not straightforward. We're often jumping ahead to the next stage of our baby's development. And lots of people will say to you in the run up to weaning, oh, they'll start sleeping as soon as they're eating, which is both annoying and not very helpful. Because yes, whilst it can help, it often doesn't happen straight away. And also sometimes it cannot help at all. So Sarah, Let's go on with our next myth. Giving solid food will make my baby sleep. Why is that a myth? So there's a huge misconception that when you start giving your baby solids, they are just going to open their mouths and sit down and have a three-course meal. And they're going to do that two or three times a day, including snacks. It's not going to happen. It takes time. So, you know, really solids aren't going to be established for a good few weeks, which means that you're putting the effort in and they're not actually really getting any nutritional benefit at this stage. So it's not going to be changing their intake. And even once you have 
progress to three meals a day, which depending on their age, you would recommend doing quite, quite mm-hmm. quickly. Um, they could just be having a few mouthfuls, with a few mouthfuls at each meal. And therefore, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's just start Absolutely. getting things started. You could be offering really. three meals a day and two snacks. And over the course of the day, they might still have only taken one teaspoon of food. So just because you're offering yeah. it, it doesn't mean that they are actually taking the food that you're offering. They might be licking it. They might be sniffing it. None of it might make it into their mouth. Yeah. Or playing with it. All of which is super important. Um, So, you know, they are all required for development, so you don't want to stop that. But you cannot have it in your head that giving solids is going to be the trick that you need to make them sleep. That's the first reason. The second reason is, I guess, that when you start that process as well, aside from them not necessarily taking on that much nutritionally, their guts can be a bit like, whoa, what is this? And that's not to freak you out. And that's not a, a thing to be like worried about remotely, but just their digestion, you know, takes a bit of time to catch up. And so overnight, they might be a bit more unsettled. You know, they might have a food that makes their tummy a bit more gurgly, all of those those things, which we know, yeah. and that can impact sleep. Definitely. You can go through a period of months where you don't get a poo overnight and then you start solids and you're back to changing poos overnight. And a lot of people panic when that happens and think that there's something wrong. Actually, it's just their little tummies digesting the food and processing it all. So all perfectly normal, but can be disruptive. So it's not actually unusual for you to start solids and sleep to feel like it's gone backwards a little bit. But it's just working through that process and getting back on track. And it's so important as well to remember to space your milk and food correctly across the day so that they are still getting what they need. Um, you know, it's not a case of, oh, well, I'm given solids at this time, so I'm not going to give milk anymore. It doesn't work like that. You know, the, their needs are real. So you do have to provide for that. Yeah, you don't just go, oh, right, well, we've started weaning. They don't need those milk feeds anymore. It's, it's, a, it's like... <laughs> I say I don't know why this image has come into my head. I'm really sorry. Again, tired. Um, when I'm in traffic and you know that it's meant to be one car after the other when you're kind of merging a lane, I always say, it's like a zip, people. <laughs> um, which is kind of like how it's meant to function. And I feel like that's like weaning. It's like a zip. You know, you're, you're bringing in one side and it's got to kind of combine both with what you've already been doing in terms of um, feeds and sleeps. And then... Once they, once they come together, ultimately, it might make things more seamless. You might have a nice lane, but it's not going to be just uh, a kind of an immediate thing. It doesn't come together immediately, I suppose. I'm not sure if that was a bit of a random analogy, but there we go. No, I like it, actually. I really like <laughs> okay. And finally, one that's kind of close to our hearts and our last myth for this episode is... Helping my baby sleep better will make them hate me. And like, there are even people who have written books that might suggest that this is true. So why is this one a myth, Sarah? So obviously there is a bit of an idea around helping your baby sleep that people think, you know, that means it's cry out or control crying. That's not the case at all. You know, there's so many methods and the main thing is that you're meeting their needs during the day means that they will sleep better at night. So you're not doing anything directly to make them cry or make them upset or leave them traumatised. 
which is what people think is happening to make them hate them the next day. But, but also what I was going to say is, even if you do do that, if you're listening to this and you have done that or you have, you know, your baby will not hate you either. Like, please don't ever. No, I cannot not. impart that enough because, you know, our babies cry and it's horrible and it's awful and it hurts your heart, but they, they cry because they're communicating. And we're not saying we, we wouldn't necessarily recommend it as a method because there are other ways to go about it. But if that is what you need to do, I feel like we've gone down a bit of a hole. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think it's important to say that though, because there are some babies that don't respond to to being helped as such. You know, they don't respond to settling techniques. They are much better just being left to have that grumble and go to sleep by themselves. And that's fine. You know, naturally, as parents, we want to help them as much as we can. However, if our help is stimulating them, we're not helping them. We're then getting frustrated because we're trying to do something that they don't actually want. Um, a baby that I've had this week is super and doing so, so well, but they know when they want to be settled and they're physically pushing their mum and dad's hands off them when they've had enough and then they roll over and they go to sleep. So they're letting them know that actually they're done with the help and now they just need to have a bit of a shout and then they conk out. So... I, but I think that's really important as well, because what we really want to support, irrespective of what we're talking about in terms of this myth, is that you you and your baby learn to communicate together. Like they will let you know what they need and you will learn to read that. And for, you know, for babies, a lot of that is a gradient of cries or sounds that sound like cries. And therefore... It can be hard at the beginning to differentiate what those are, but you as a parent will start to learn that. The more you get to know your baby and the more you listen to your baby, the more responsive you are to their needs. And that's the thing with this particular sleep myth, that you're not doing anything that is going to make them hate you. Um, having a responsive and communicative relationship is a good thing it can never ever be a bad thing um and that goes from when they're born right up until they're adults I would imagine although the idea of having adult children terrifies me you know there are many things that I will probably do that will make my kids hate me <laughs> throughout time for periods of time helping them to sleep I don't think is going to be one of them you know probably doing d dodgy dancing or dyeing my hair pink as I have done at the moment those things are much more likely to embarrass them <laughs> so that's another five myths booted out of the baby sleeposphere and it's clearly made me a wee bit giddy doing it we know you love these podcasts as they are some of the most listened to but we also have loads of excellent episodes for you to wrap your ears around that will hopefully help you and your family get more sleep too find us on social media at the sleep mums on Facebook and Instagram and now on TikTok. Uh, we would love to hear from you and if you fancy you could share some of your own sleep myths with us because we've definitely got a sleep myths part four in the bag at some point. As ever we hope this helped because that's what we're all about. Look after yourselves and sleep soon. <laughs>